I, um, if I did what I think I should, I think I should follow some of my notes. My notes are online, but, but I need to do it a little bit differently. I've been talking about righteousness. Righteousness will produce change in you. Did you know that? And one thing, I was on the way. I was in my truck. I was singing, and I have this certain station on, uh, on, um, on one of the media places, you know, that make music, Pandora. There's this one station. It has these old songs. Now, you know, I'm an old man now, I guess. I don't like to say that. But I've known Jesus since 1976, so I got thousands of songs. And I don't like to just sing the ones of today because I've got thousands I've known over the years. And so I was listening to that particular station. If you want to know what it is, I'll tell you after service if you ask me. But uh, I was listening to that, and I was, uh, and I was just singing with it. And, uh, and the Lord reminded me of something about righteousness that I hadn't, didn't have in my notes. I added it. And it's Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Everybody say the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I started talking about righteousness last week, and obviously I'm not getting through this week, but I got a couple of uh, insights from the notes I want to share, I think. And this thing the Lord shared with me, uh, righteousness is a breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. Let me back up and, and just share just a tidbit from last week. Righteousness is the ability to stand before God just as though uh, sin, sin, condemnation, and inferiority had never been a part of your personality. Whoa. Is that good? What, what, if, what if you could stand before God just as though you had never said an unkind word? Or a cuss word, we say, or you had never, or you had never done anything wrong at all in any realm, towards another person with your physical body, or, or in any way. Now, would that be amazing? To stand before God just as you, though you'd never thought a wrong thought, and dwelled upon it. Would that be amazing? Now, that's what Jesus does for us. He gives us His right standing with God. Whoa. So when you stand before God, it's just as though you never done wrong. Back, can I sing a song? So here's a song from the 70s that, that was in vogue when I came to Jesus. And it goes like this. I'm covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me, gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me lives in me and then it goes what a joy it is to know my heavenly father loves me so and gives to me gives to me and then the last part and when he looks at me he sees not what i used to be but he sees jesus and see here i am an ex-druggy boy Lusty boy, messy boy, and I hear that. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Do you know he wants to say that to you? Is that awesome? Huh? So, so let me say it again. Any time that you're reminded of your past misdeeds, God will not remind you of your past. What he will do is show you what your future could be if you'll fall in love with Jesus in a fresh way. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's the way he is.
He, he, never, he never looks back. He, he wants us to look forward, looking unto Jesus. Seeing, therefore, brother, seeing that we have these promises, dearly beloved. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. What does it say? Put it on the screen. It's not in my notes. I, I get where I am, and it's going to be pretty strong. And I just, wow, there it is. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses of the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Go to the next verse, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. We do this. Can you go to New King James? Looking unto Jesus, New uh, King James says, New King James. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Is that good? So what Jesus wants you to do is take your eyes off of who you are, where you would, what you did, and when you get your eyes single on him, it makes a difference. And so Ephesians 6, 14 talks about the, the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate of righteousness covers the chest. So the breastplate, and he's referring to the breastplate on a Roman soldier, it covers, it covers the internal organs right here. You can't live without these internal organs functioning. You can't live without your heart. Without your heart beating, you die quickly. You can't live without your lungs working well. You can't live just not very long without air, right? And so it protects the most vital organs of your body, the breastplate. And he calls it a breastplate of righteousness, you see, if we can connect our hearts with God and if we can allow his righteousness to protect who we are. You hear what I'm saying? It, it'll protect us from the accusations of the enemy. This is all in my notes in the varying ways. Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night. How many of the enemy wants to accuse you and remind you of what you didn't do, what you should have done, Right? Well, see that breastplate, if it's secure where it should be, you, you're, you're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of who you are. And when you take what you do, even if it's wrong before the throne of God and say, God, I should not have said that statement to that person. I, was, I, I, I spoke disparagingly to that teller at the bank because I was angry with what happened to my money and I'm responsible for it, doggone it. And Lord, I repent, right? Or whatever it is you're dealing with, you take it before God and, and you honor him by saying, God, that should never have been a part of me. See, so you want to protect that breastplate of righteousness. See, God's given you righteousness. Righteousness is an armor, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. Right, the, the righteousness is an, arm, is an armor, it's an armor around you, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, the apostle Paul said. What does it do? It protects you from the accusations of other people. You know, we're living in a culture right now that everybody wants to tell you whose fault it is that this and that happened. Is that true? And then in a lot of relationships, there's a new word that's come in vogue the last number of years, and I actually had to look it up, gaslighting. And another, the old school word for gaslighting is blame shifting. Well, if, you, if this hadn't happened, you hadn't have done that, then, then this wouldn't be this way. But it's because you did. That's gaslighting. That's putting the onus on you because of what's going on somewhere, right? 
And now you'll find people that are particularly self-centered. We've got a lot of people like that in the world today. Uh, they, they want to blame everybody but themselves for the problems that they face. If you're in a relationship with someone who is utterly self-centered, they talk a lot about themselves and what they've done and what they need and what you didn't do. That's gaslighting, my friends. Yes or no? And God's given you righteousness that comes from Jesus that can protect your heart from the accusations of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren and he accuses them before God day and night. Any accusing voice, why didn't you do that? I mentioned that last week. How could you have said that? You forgot to. What, who do you think you are? You didn't pray long enough. You didn't fast this week. Blah, blah. He's on, he's an accuser. Is that right? And see, he accuses, he, he's, uh, he's accusing us constantly. But see, righteousness enables you to deflect that. And you, can, and, and you can honestly say, you know, I might not have done that the right way, but I ask God to forgive me, and he's treating me just as though I didn't do it. Yes or no? Let me also say this is not an excuse for wrong living. Uh, I came upon some of these things in my prayer life. They're in my notes in varying ways today, so I'm just trying to, you know, as things come up, I just want to speak them. Uh, we have a whole segment of people today who are completely comfortable in sin. If, if you're in sin and you're comfortable with your sin and you think that God is not upset about sin, he is upset about sin because it hurts people. He's upset because of sin. In fact, you have to be real with these scripture verses. Psalm says God's angry with the wicked every day. Why is he angry? Because sin hurts people, Right? So if you're living in sin, it's not that God doesn't love you, but he doesn't want the sin to ruin your life. Is it true? And so God wants us to give our sin to him. But if you're doing things that you know you shouldn't do, you know, I walk almost every day, and yesterday I was taking a walk and I smell pot. Here's what I know. Our culture has given itself permission to do things that we wouldn't do in the past. Is that true? People are looking at pornography. They're living together without the bonds of marriage and fornication. People are committing adultery. Uh, some segments uh, don't know a lot about this. I've read a little bit about it. People are having sex parties in older ages. People are doing crazy things. Because they've given themselves permission to do what never should be done. People give themselves permission to lie and to cheat and to steal from others in the way they enact their business stuff. How many know you answer for that stuff? Unless you take it to Jesus and repent. How many hear what I'm saying? Hebrews 3.13 talks about uh, sin hardening the heart. In fact, throw Hebrews 3.13 up on the screen. Glory be to God. There it is. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened through what? Deceitfulness of sin. How can sin be deceitful? It can be deceitful when you think you can act in a way and do things that God says will hurt you. And, and do it with anonymity. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make any difference. It does make a difference, and it will make a difference. Now we've got, um, oh boy, 
wandering into a weed field here. Oh, do I want to do that? <laughs> Who's that egging me on? Oh. Now we've got Calvinism warmed over today, which is the belief system. Okay, here we are. You ready? I'm opening the barn door. Once you're saved, you're always saved. I don't care how you live. Huh? It is a sacred cow. So, you know, I've done 80-something funerals in my tenure as a minister. And I've had a lot of people that their families wanted me to preach them to heaven. Maybe I'll let you into one of my secrets. If I don't know where you went, I'm not going to talk about where you went. I'm going to talk about the possibilities of where the people alive can go. Heaven. Just a thought. But just because you confessed Jesus when you were eight years old like I did when I was a little boy, and you're living wrong all your life, you're lying, you're cheating, you're stealing, you're committing adultery, you're fornicator, huh? You're a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. You see, God loves all those people deeply. But now we got a whole group of people in America think, well, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to fornicate too. Do y'all know what fornicate is? That's an old school word for having sex with people you aren't married to. I got to spill everything out today. Sorry, I just have to do it. That's the way it is. Right? Huh? Or, you know, I'm really addicted to alcohol, but I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic, gloop, gloop, gloop. You know, just because I get up in the morning and got to have me a shot, that don't mean I'm an alcoholic. It probably does, reality. See, that's your idol. That's your crutch you're standing on. Huh? Right? So, you know, I don't want to pick on any pet thing. I'm just saying that we're in a culture right now that anything goes, anything I want to do goes. If I want to go to church, fine. If I don't, it's fine. God just loves me just the way I am. Part of that's true. God loves you but he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. Now, that's the, that's the reality. We're changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when the presence of God comes into a life through the new birth, he urges us to make changes. They're small changes to begin with. God won't ask you to change everything at one time. How many hear what I'm saying? I've shared this illustration before. There was a revival in the Philippines in the 1950s. It started with Lester Sumrall in, uh, in, in the Philippines. And, uh, and so a bunch of people were coming to Jesus. It's a long story. I don't have time to tell. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. And uh, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people were coming to Jesus. And they transformed a, a B-52 hangar. Uh, into a church, I think it's still there in Manila, Philippines, uh, pastored by one of his uh, one of his family members now. But uh, there was a tremendous revival, and and people were coming to Jesus by score, and they were just coming, and they were raw. I mean, they were raw. Whatever was in that culture, they were they were polygamous there, and, and the men would come to. They they had two or three wives, you know, hanging around, and uh, and then they would go to rooster fights, and uh, and they would gamble all their money away. And then the deacons of the church would come up to him and say, well, all these people coming to Jesus, man, they're bringing their two or three wives with them. Man, you need to rebuke these people. And Lester Summerall said, leave them alone. Leave them alone. And they couldn't understand. Then he said, he said uh, 
the, the deacons come back up and say, well, these men, they tell me what they're doing. They're leaving church and they're going to the rooster fights, right? And they're gambling all their money away. Don't you need to say something to them? And Lester said, leave them alone. Here's what he said. God cleaned them. God, God's, God grabbed them and saved them. He can clean them up. It's not my job to be, be the Holy Ghost for them. Now, eventually, yes, but you know, Again, if you've just come to Jesus, you've got all kinds of things in your person and personality that need changes. Is that right? And let me tell you what God won't do. He won't overwhelm you. He'll take one thing at a time. Aren't you glad? One day at a time. Another one, Jesus. Aren't you glad he does that? Just one day, just one little thing. But again, in our culture, the idea is well, I can live any way I want to live and I'm, everybody's going to heaven. You talk to the average person on the street today, God, it's too good to allow anybody to go to this fabricated place that these Bible thumpers call the lake of fire or hell. My friends, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And he warned people about that place. And I have actually... I know people who actually died because they had a physical infirmity and saw the flames of hell. Hell is a real place. Now, I don't believe in it because they saw it. I believe it because the Bible says so. But see, I'm just making a point, belaboring the point a bit. There's a lot of people in America think you can live any way you want to live and be right with God. You can't. Eventually, you're going to break your fellowship. When you know to do good and choose not to do it, to him it's sin. Once your conscience awakens, and you know something, you're doing something that you shouldn't do. You got to be willing to let it go, right? And that's all of us. And if you think that the grace of God covers you, because once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can go back and do the things you did before you knew the Lord, and it's okay. It's not okay. In fact, I got a whole message. In fact, you can go look on my blogs. I've done blogs on this. Once saved, always saved, question mark. You're saved as long as you want to be. And you're saved as long as you walk with God. And I know those that say once saved, always saved is true because those that really want to do those bad things were never saved. Well, you know, you know, you're forgetting about Hebrews 6. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost and of the powers of the age to come. If they shall, if they shall fall away to bring them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him into an open shame. Here are people who were born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, had knowledge of the word of God, operated in spiritual gifts, but chose to go south, chose to do what they knew, were, knew was wrong. Friends, you can't go to heaven living wrong. Now, another way some people believe in the way a lot of Americans believe is, you can be an alcoholic, a pervert, a fornicator, a homosexual, I just got to say this, a lesbian, a transgender person, uh, and, and God loves all these people. But the wages of sin is heaven? Oh, oh no, no, no. The wages of sin is what? Yeah. But the gift of God is eternal life, right? So even to speak about these people go, oh, well, you know, this is the Bible. God's wanting to clean the church up, y'all. Here's a good way to think about life. What, what do you like to do in your spare moments when nobody's looking? What do you want? What do you want to be? What do you do? 
Can you see yourself doing that in heaven? Because that's the real you. Right? So what you really are uh, is in your thoughts. It's in your desires, your aspirations. I see God knows all those things. So question is, if, uh, if all that you want was suddenly put on that screen up there, to be seen by every, everybody in heaven, would you fit with everybody else in heaven? I'm trying to, everybody's got a poker face. Like, I mean, it really makes you think, right? So what does that do? Well, you got to do some house cleaning sometimes. See? Everybody does. But see, when you have these things that you know shouldn't be there and you say, God, I know that shouldn't be in my life. See, that's where repentance comes in and that's where righteousness comes in. It gives us an ability to say, God, that is my flesh. My flesh wants that. I did that before I knew Jesus. Or maybe I didn't even do it before I knew Jesus, but I sure wanted to. And now it's creeping back up because it's in the culture, right? Oh, you gotta be willing to say, God, that's part of what I don't wanna be but my flesh wants that. So take the want to out of me. I was listening to a pod. Everybody okay? I feel like I'm rambling. Is this making sense? See, I'm a teacher and this is not teachy. This is more prophetic like. So I was listening to a podcast oh, last week and this guy was so, I said, this is so blessing. This young guy, he was a minister. He said, I'm gonna tell you, he said, I was addicted to pornography. And he said, when I came to Jesus, that pornography thing came back on me. This blessed me so much. And he said, he said, I, I was so ashamed of what I was doing. And he said, the Lord began to deal with me so strongly that I needed to repent of that. Listen to what he said he did. He said, I got free. He said, you know how? He said, uh, I began to invite Jesus to come and watch pornography with me. Now, <laughs> that's so good, right? He said, Jesus, would you come and sit right beside me while I'm doing this mess on my phone or on my iPad or my computer? Oh, God. And Jesus, would you take the desire for that away from me? And he said every time he had the desire, he said, Jesus, I've got a desire to look at porn. Would you come and look at it with me? And y'all, he said, I got set free. Maybe yours is alcohol. I want to go just get a little tipsy. Nobody will know it because I'm not going to get in my car but I want to go get a little tipsy tonight because I'm not feeling good. I need something to take the edge off. Won't you invite Jesus to come and drink some with you? Or maybe yours today. Now people give themselves all kinds of permission, smoking pot. Jesus, I invite you to come do a reefer with me. Or Jesus, I invite you to come and do some blow with me. Y'all, you know. Crack, right? <laughs> Y'all, Listen. Over the years, I've had church members say all kinds of things to me about what they do, and they think it's okay. And I just have to look at them with a kind of a sly smile, so that ain't okay. And you know what the problem is? You, my friend, have a hard heart. If you can curse like the world does now, I hear F-bombs every day, and I hate them, don't you? I can hardly even look at a clean movie because I get F-bombs in them just about, right? But if you can curse... And do all that stuff, talk all that trash, huh? And say you're right with God. No, ask Jesus to come and do what, what you're doing, right? Isn't that good? Woo! Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus and independence upon his person, Amplified says. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Isn't that great? 
It's time to clean up. Righteousness will help you do that. You say, how? Because Jesus took all of our wrongdoing. He took all of our failures. He took all of our misdeeds. And he became that for us so that we could be made right. And when you confess your sin and say, God, I don't want that in my life anymore, even though you haven't yet broken the habit that takes you back to doing this or doing that or acting this way or acting out that way, say, Jesus, I don't want that in my life. I ask you, help me overcome that. Come and be, come in that moment with me and help me. Do you know Jesus will free you? Do you know he'll deliver you? It's that breastplate of righteousness that causes that to happen. Is that good? Uh, 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 righteousness will also enable you to own your sin. How many hear me? So, uh, wow, time flies. Wow, that's really amazing. Is it really that time? Help me, Jesus. I'm just kind of batting around here some things that are in my notes. This is one thing that I think is uh, really important. Uh, we have two kinds of peace in our life. Everybody say peace with God. And we also can experience the peace of God. Everybody say peace of God. So say peace with God, the peace of God. Peace with God, Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith. We'll talk about that another time. Therefore being justified by faith. Justified, somebody uh, back a long time ago uh, put it in a way you can understand what to be justified means. Just as if I'd never sinned. Is that good? It's where God just makes you right, just like you never did wrong. Is that good? So you're justified by faith. That means Jesus took the penalty for all of your wrongdoing, right? Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What brings peace? Peace with God? Being justified by faith. How do you do that? You got to bow your knee to Jesus, be honest about your sin, and say, God, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want you to be my savior from sin, and I want you to redeem my life and help me. And then you have peace with God. But see, there's, there's one thing to have the peace with God. It's another thing to have the peace of God. Colossians 3, 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Or you're called in one body and be, right? Thankful. Let the peace of God rule. That word rule, the Greek word actually means be umpire. Let the peace of God call the shots. So when you're starting to do something <coughs> and you lose your peace, you say, I'm not going to do that. Start to say something and you lose your peace. I'm not going to say. Start to call somebody and chew them out. You lose your peace. Don't do it. You start to get involved in something and you just lose your peace don't do it. The peace of God helps you see the will of God. Huh? The peace with God comes through the blood of Jesus, but the peace of God comes by moment by moment staying in fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. How many know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? That means that everything you do, he goes with you, and he does it with you. He's, 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 he's taking a hitchhike through life in your body. And he's watching what you do. He's monitoring what we think. He's monitoring what we feel. He's monitoring our choices. He's monitoring our motives. He's monitoring our physical behaviors. He's just there. And anytime we do something that would affect our personal fellowship with Jesus, he said, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's why Ephesians 4 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption, right? Everybody awake, you're quiet. 
<clears throat> grieving the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means I'm doing something, saying something, context of Ephesians 4. And it's talking about words. When you say words that don't help, but they hurt somebody, you grieve him. How I many you can grieve? How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? When you know you're doing something that you shouldn't do and you do it anyway, it grieves him. Why? Because he goes with you in life, right? And so, and so see, righteousness gives us the ability to be right with God. And when our minds or our emotions or our bodies or we're just uh, with somebody else and someone else's influence urges us to do something that we know full well we shouldn't do, righteousness is an armor. It's a breastplate. It covers your heart and it helps you say, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that today or tomorrow or ever. Right? Is that good? Peace with God, the peace of God. Righteousness also enables, and I'm going to stop with this. Righteousness also enables us to own it when we have a problem. Now, that's particularly a, a, a difficulty with American culture right now. Have you noticed that? And so I mentioned the word earlier, gaslighting. That's when you make somebody else the problem instead of, of, of being honest with yourself and dealing with the problem yourself. Uh, could you put Ephesians, uh, Isaiah 54, 17 on the screen, please? We're just stick it, digging all through my notes today. Isaiah 54, 17. In righteousness you will be established. That's it? That's not right. No weapon for, well, that's true. Don't y'all like that? But that's not the one. Oh, here it is. Isaiah, wait a minute. I, I, where am I? Isaiah 54, 14. Throw that one on the screen. In righteousness you will be established. You'll be far from oppression. You'll not fear, and from terror, it will not come near you. Is that good? And then throw Isaiah 32 on the screen. You got that one? It's on down in my notes away. 17, the work of righteousness will be what? It's not on the screen yet. Oh, there it is. The work of righteousness will be what? And the effect of righteousness what? <laughs> See, righteousness uh, enables us to walk with God and walk in a peaceful way. Righteousness also enables us to own it when we do wrong. Why? Because you know God forgives you and God forgets what you did when you sinned. And he enables you not to go there again. And if you have a habit, righteousness enables you to break bad habits. Is that good news? If you'll go back to the Garden of Eden, and if you'll go back to my notes, it's in the notes, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve had sinned against God. He came down in the cool of the day to fellowship with God, and, uh, and they weren't around, and he was saying, Adam, where are you? Throw it on the screen. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife Eve hid, the, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Did you know sin causes us to hide? Yes or no? Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? What should have Adam said? It's not, it's not, it's not brain surgery, yes. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I, I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you should not eat? The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the tree. She, she gave me the fruit. And I ate it. It ain't me, it's her. If you didn't, that's a gaslight. If you'd have not given her to me, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Welcome to 2023 America. If my mama hadn't have treated me that way, if my daddy hadn't have treated me that way, if I hadn't have been working this old dead-in job, if I'd have been living in a different community, if it wasn't this way, if the government was different, shut up. That right there, that's it. And the Lord God said to the woman, it gets worse. What you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me in an egg. Instead of, well, God, I did what you told me not to do. She, she blamed it on the serpent. Now, that's what we do when we're away from God. That's human behavior minus Jesus. Listen, if you can't own your problems, you will never get over them. Maybe I should say that again. If you can't own what you're doing and call it what it is, you'll never get over it. Right? If you got a problem with alcohol, say, I got a problem with alcohol. I'm a drunkard. Call it what it is. That's not nice, but it could be true with somebody. Or I'm a drug addict. I smoke pot every day. See, I have to say these things in public. I don't think any of you guys are doing this, but we got a lot of people watching. Right? So if you've got a problem, own it instead of blaming someone else. And that's what, and that's what human behavior did, does. And so why? Because, because you know, if you do something wrong, you feel bad, right? And I was, had planned to get into this. When you feel bad, you treat others bad too. Did you know that? Is it true? In righteousness, you'll be established. You'll be far from oppression and from fear not come near you. See, when, when you're right with God, you don't blame other people for your problems, right? And then you think good things about other people and not bad things about people. You don't down others. Let me tell you a, a little story. When I first came to the Lord, you know, I had a pair of tennis shoes on, had a pair of jeans, had my T-shirt I was slouching down in the seat in the church on Sunday morning when I first came to the Lord. And I'm watching people walk by. And I'm watching this man. He walks by. He's got him a silk suit on. I knew he, that man got some money right there. Look, what kind of eel skin shoes? Look at him. Look at him. Look at them rings on his finger. Mm -hmm. What a kind of car that boy got. And, I'm, and then I'm looking at, you know, the ushers as they're taking up the offering. And, uh, and, and here's what I'm doing. Everybody I see, I'm thinking, the usher, I said, well, look at him. He's got one of his ears is crooked. Then I'm looking at this. Uh, I'm not, this is crazy, but I'm, I'm looking at all the, all the problems that people have. Well, this person, his tie's not straight. And there were ties back then. And I was always looking for something somebody wasn't instead of looking at the good qualities in them. And I was sitting there judging everybody. And I was thinking about this one person. He thinks he's something. Look at him. Look at the way he's walking. Look at him. He thinks he's something. 
Uh, look at that woman over there. She thinks she's the prettiest thing. Everybody ought to look at her. She needs to repent. You know. I didn't even know what repent meant. But I'm sitting there. I'm saying all this to say I'm sitting there. And I heard the Lord say, Mitch, you're the one that needs to repent. I love all these people that you, you said things about in your head. And I, I heard you do it. And he convicted me of looking at the worst in everybody. And I found out 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. God reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13. As you go through your day, if you'll just read your Bible sincerely, the Holy Spirit will remind you of things you need to know. How many hear me? God had to set me free, number one, from, from judging others. But before I, could, before I could even get over that, I had, to, I had to deal with owning my own sin. And if you'll own your own sin, you'll feel better about you because it gives you an ability to repent. Whatever you do to others is because you think that way yourself. If you feel badly and talk badly about others, it's because you feel badly about you. Yes or no? It's truth, my friends. And when Jesus cleans you up on the inside and you believe the best of yourself because God put himself inside of you, he put the Holy Spirit inside of you and he's in the process of cleaning you up. When you think better about yourself, you'll think better about other people. That's one of the reasons Jesus made you the righteousness of God in him. It protects your heart. It's like armor on you and it keeps you from thinking badly about you. I used to call myself names. You dirtbag, you louse, you idiot, you dumbhead, you numbskull, what is wrong with you when I made a mistake? And I was doing that one day and the Lord said to me, who are you talking about? I said, we're talking about myself. I thought God would be proud of me and that was, that was humility. He said, no, you're prideful. You're talking about somebody I created and you're calling them surrealist names. Stop. I said, yes, sir. Stop talking badly about yourself. You say, well, I got problems. Take your problems to Jesus. Don't do what Adam and Eve did, blame shift, gaslight. Don't do what our culture does. Take what you are and what you aren't to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to be different. And Jesus will make a difference. How many hear me? So I've learned in my life that righteousness produces peace and quietness and assurance forever. Is that good news? And if you'll learn to walk in the sense of righteousness, then you know what? You can overcome every problem, every challenge, because you can own it. Unless you own it, you don't overcome it. So here's what I've learned to do, and I'll try to close up with this and let somebody else come up here and do something else. Everybody okay? Been a different kind of service. But God wants us to come to him and God wants us to have intimate, close fellowship with him. And we're the ones that keep him away. He's not staying away because he wants to. You know, he's not near because I'm not calling him near. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Is that right? 
How do you draw near to God when you're having a problem, when you're having a struggle, when the culture's looking at you and looking in an alluring way and you want to do something everybody else is doing and you know it's wrong? Or maybe there's something you've had in your life for a period of time since you've known Jesus and you know you need to get rid of that thing. You take that thing to the Lord, own it. When I own my stuff, I can get rid of it. That's the good news. How do you own it? Be honest with God. And that's why I love John. You know, John was the the last apostle that died uh, of the original 12 and he was an aged man when he went to be with Jesus and he wrote the epistle of 1 John in his elderly years. Some people think in his 80s, perhaps even 90s, he wrote the book of 1 John and he wrote as a fatherly figure to the, the church at large and here it is, it's, uh, it's in the original canon of scripture, we call it, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, the word of God. So he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wow. So what he's saying is, if I know I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing then, and I don't own it, I'm deceiving myself. Now, that's a self-deceived person. And I said earlier, there's a lot of self-deceived people today. They're doing what they know is wrong, but they're saying it's okay. It's not okay. Right? Then he says, if we confess our sins, everybody say confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess is not in the notes. That word confess is the Greek word, two words, compound word. Homo means the same. Homogenized milk, you put all the milk fat in the whole, in the whole gallon of milk. Okay, homo. Homo means the same. And then legeo means to speak. It means to speak, mouth, or say exactly what God says. It really just means to agree with God about whatever you're doing in your life. God, you said that was wrong. You said it's wrong to lie. I just told something that wasn't true. It's a lie. And Lord, I own that in Jesus' name and ask you to forgive me, right? Or Lord, that was selfish. And what I said, it was absolutely selfish. I did not consider the other person's thoughts or feelings or situation. I just said something and I hurt them. I judged that. That's wrong. That's confessing your sin, right? So whatever it is, he said, if we confess, if we're honest with God about what we did and we did something that he says is wrong, if we confess our sins, you do one thing, he does four. He'll be faithful. Everybody say, he will be faithful. He will be just. He will forgive you of your sin and then cleanse you from unrighteousness. It's hard to be to deal that with like that. You do one thing, he does four. Ah, how can you beat it? You confess, God, I did that immediately he, he, he is faithful, he's just, he forgives you, and he cleanses you. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? What is cleansing? If you confess, now this is really perhaps more for the new believer or the uninformed believer than anything here. If you confess what you know you did was wrong, then see as you, uh, and when you first come to the Lord, you may be doing things wrong and you don't even know they're wrong. See, if we confess what we know we did was wrong, then he'll be faithful, just, forgiven, and cleanse. If you'll confess what you know you did wrong, then there's a cleansing for what you did wrong that you didn't know was wrong. Right? It just works. It's just amazing. Then 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, an attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Whoa. And he himself is the, everybody say propitiation. 
for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Most translations say, say he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that word, we don't use the word to propitiate in English ever. I don't know, unless it's in some legal jargon somewhere. But uh, the word propitiation means the sacrifice that satisfies God's anger against injustice and sin. Jesus became God's satisfaction against what you did wrong. Is that good news or what? You see, the Old Testament, they gave animal blood once a year on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, animal blood was put on the, the, uh, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, and it was called the mercy seat, and two little angels made out of gold looked over it. And the high priest, once he slew the animal, he would put the animal blood on top of the mercy seat and it covered or atoned and satisfied God's holiness against sin. And, and God could fellowship with his people for, for, for one year. And then now that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus has propitiated or he has completely satisfied God's anger against your sin. I need, y'all ain't getting this. Jesus has completely satisfied God's anger about sin. Say, so why is God angry with sin? Sin cannot go to heaven. How many understand? God is this, this one word, holy. Everybody say holy. It just means set apart. It means different from everything else. You got everything else in this. This is this is holy, and then there's everything else. Holy, everything else. Holy, everything else. God's not just holy. Angels in Revelation said he's holy, holy, holy. He's big time holy. What does that mean? Nothing unholy can go to be where holy is. Why? Holy will burn it up. Now, I could go give lots of explanation on all of that, but I don't have time. Nobody that's not holy can go to heaven. And let's be real. You can't be holy on your own. It takes the blood of Jesus to make you holy. We're going to cover this another time. I got a big one on this one. I just don't have time today. Listen, Jesus has made you holy. He's made you worthy to go through the pearly gates of heaven and that angel to say, let me see if your name's in the book of life. Wait, just, just wait right there. Just a minute. Wait a minute. What you say your name was? What? Herbert? Okay, what, what? Herbert? What's your last name? Who? He says, what's your middle name? I got four of these. What's your middle name? Whoa, whoa, what's your address? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's just trembling there. Your name. Welcome to the family of God. Please enter. Enter into the presence of God. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? You don't go to heaven without the blood of Jesus. Your works don't get you to heaven. There's a whole group of people in Revelation 20. Uh, it's the great white throne judgment. They stand before God and they say, I've been waiting for this moment all my life, God. You know, I've been helping old ladies across the street. I've been giving my money away. I've been going to church and giving my time. I've been, I've been doing more than is required at work. I've been so good. I've been helping my wife. I've been, I've been changing baby diapers. I've been, I've been giving bottles to babies. I've been, I've been helping people. I've been buying people's grocery, groceries at the grocery store. Even in the Chick-fil-A line, I'll pay for the person ahead of me, God. I've been waiting for this day. And God says, so have I. Glad you're here. What you got? <laughs> I got a whole bunch of good works. 
I got every, hey, just look at all these things I've been doing, aren't you? <laughs> he said, just one moment. Angels, please. The book of works. See, if you, if you live by your works, you're judged by your works. Go read Revelation 20. I don't have time. Start with verse 11. The dead were judged by those things which were written in the books according to their works. If you're living by works and you're just doing good things to get to heaven and you think God's going to let you in just because you're good, you'll be judged that way. And all the people at what we call the great white throne judgment, they stand before God and the books were opened. And then it says another book was opened, which is the book of life. And those that, whose found, names were not found in the book of life are cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. It's called the second death. See, the good news is nobody that knows Jesus will be at the great white throne judgment. Only those who trust their good works. So if you're in the room today or you're watching and you're trusting that you've basically been a good person, lived basically a good life, basically done the right thing, well, basically you missed the most important point. The most important point in life is forsaking yourself and believing in what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sent out his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved, right? Wow. So see, that's, that's the most important. These people left all that out. Say, well, no, I didn't make Jesus Lord because I just thought my good works. Well, well, uh, put them in the flame and they take them away screaming. They go into uh, the lake of fire and they burn it for eternity. Now, aren't you glad that's not you? It's because God has forgiven our sins and Jesus has satisfied God's holy anger against sin. That's the reason we can go to heaven. Is that good news? And he himself is the atonement that satisfies uh, God's anger against our sin. And not for ours only, 1 John 2, 2, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals some of your diseases, no, all of your diseases. He forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. Then listen, Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for, from us. Isaiah 43, 25. I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his work. Is that good news? Is that enough yet? And then to top it off, Micah 7, 19 and 20, he will again have compassion on them and subdue our, and will subdue our iniquities. You have cast, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I looked it up. The ocean is uh, at the deepest point, 36,201 feet, almost seven miles. And Corey Timbu said, I'll go fishing. 
So the good news is when you sin, all these scriptures, all these are in the notes. Go get the notes, even though I didn't preach the notes today. Go get these. This is what I use when I deal with me. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. How do you walk with God? Keep a clean slate, a clean confession of sin. How many hear what I'm saying? I hadn't known the Lord for two weeks, and we had a Bible college guy that was in the grocery store where I worked. And uh, he was a jovial kind of guy, always kind of joking around and stuff. And uh, so he found out I met the Lord. And prior to the day before I met the Lord, y'all, I was smoking and all this other mess and lusting after the women like everybody else was in the grocery store. And then I came to Jesus. The next day I got transformed. He saw that a couple of weeks later. He said, I got a question. And I never forgot. And, you know, I don't even remember the guy's name now. Uh, but uh, he said, Mitch, I want to ask you a question since you know Jesus. He said, what determines a spirit, the spirituality of a person and how spiritual a person is? I don't, know, I don't know. I didn't know. He said, perhaps it's how quickly they confess their sin when they do wrong. I said, really? That's a good thought. That's a good way to think about it. So what he was really saying in a nutshell is, if I'm walking closely with Jesus, the moment I do something I know is wrong, I don't wait till I get to church. I don't wait till I get home. I don't wait till I pray in the shower. I don't wait till I get in my car. But it's right then, God, I just sinned and I did wrong. And Jesus, I invite you to that place where I was and I ask you to forgive me. I own it. I say what you say about it. I confess it was wrong and ask your forgiveness. How many hear me? And if you do that, he'll be faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. Uh, today is a day to guard our hearts. Today is a day to put on the breastplate of right standing with God. And we can stand right with God moment by moment, regardless of what life deals with us, by dealing with our thought life and dealing with every single thing we do with God's, with our, with our eye on our relationship with Jesus first, right? So we ought to have our eye on him while we're working, when we're making decisions on our jobs that affect other people, when we're having conversations with people. We need to have an ear to him. What is he saying? What does his word say to us? When I'm going through my day, when I have some leisure time, what is he saying to me about my finances? What is he saying to me about my marriage? What is God saying to me about my job? What is he saying to me about my children? What is he saying to me about my inner life and the things that I entertain in my head? He wants to come and be involved with them. And if I'm doing anything that he doesn't want to be involved in, I go to him in repentance and say, God, I know that's wrong. I know that's sin, and I want to put that away. That's how you put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's how you cause a righteousness to be your armor, as, as Paul said, on the, on the right hand and on the left, right? Glory. So we had a really strange meeting in my view today. We talked about all kinds of things. And so there was the word of knowledge that manifests at the beginning of the meeting. And uh, many of you are dealing with your family issues. Some of you are dealing with marriage issues. Some of you are dealing with ch children issues, children still in your home. Some of you are dealing with divorce. Others of you are dealing with grown children who are just upsetting you because of the, of the choices they're making and what they're doing. All that came out early in the meeting and my encouragement is don't forget what I just said about righteousness because it gives you an ability in the middle of the hard place and in the, in the middle of the thing that you know needs to be changed but you don't have the ability to do anything about it to take it before the throne of God and ask him to work a miracle in every situation how many hear what I'm saying 
That means you can go to him with yourself when you know that there are things in your life that don't add up to God's righteous standard and say, God, this is me, but I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to change. How many know the grace of God will enter your life in a fresh way? How many are ready for that? Well, just keep sitting where you are. Raise your hands up and up to heaven right here. Come on. Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before your throne in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for the righteousness that Jesus has given me as a free gift. It's nothing I've earned. It's nothing I deserve. Jesus gave it to me as a gift. The only thing that you ask of me is honesty and integrity. So I come before your throne and I ask you to forgive me for any area of life that is out of kilter with the best that you have for me. And right now, this Sunday morning, I give you permission to search my heart and my mind and my activities and anything I'm involved in that you want to alter, I give you permission to speak to me and help me to obey you. Jesus Christ, I invite you into every area of my life, things that I do, things that I say, relationships that I have, how I spend my money, what I'm, what I'm doing with my spouse, how I'm treating my children, what kinds of friends I have. Lord, I invite you into every room in my house, my house of life, and I give you permission. Anything that needs to be changed, I give you the permission to make the change. Thank you. Thank you for the changes you've made in me. In Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins according to the scriptures. I believe you were raised from the dead. And Jesus Christ, right now, I reaffirm you as the one who rules my life. Old school, we would call you Lord. You rule over us. So rule over me. Rule over every part of me and change every part of me that's not in line with the best you have for me in Jesus' name.